Galileo discovering or realizing that the earth revolves around the sun and the church is going around killing scientists because it's contrary to what they're teaching. I don't like the church, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I'm team Galileo in that situation. So I'm, I don't, I wouldn't seek people out to ridicule them or convert them or anything just for them to understand and know what they're saying is contrary to reality. Mm-hmm. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Assyrian Podcast. This is Steve, and I'm so excited to be with you for episode 162. Time flies when you're podcasting, and we are now entering into the fifth year of the Assyrian Podcast. We are just as committed today as we were in the first year to bringing you amazing stories, new perspectives, and interesting questions. The Assyrian podcast team loved having a few months to refresh ourselves and plan out our content for this year, but now we're ready to get back into it. This year, we'll still be providing our regular interviews, but we're also going to be doing a few more themed episodes where we focus in on a certain topic. For example, in this episode, I sat down with a very good friend of mine named Matthew Sharif, who identifies as an atheist. Matthew was born and raised into an Assyrian home, and at some point, Matthew decided to take the courageous path less traveled. What I loved about our time together is that we weren't sharing groundbreaking new ideas or information, but we were talking about something that isn't often talked about in our community, and we were talking about it in a way that isn't often heard. It wasn't just what we were saying, it was the way that we were saying it. I really appreciated Matt's honesty, intelligence, and courage. In our Assyrian world, Matt has taken the path less traveled and has reaped the benefits as well as some of the challenges that come with it. And I think what you'll get out of this episode is that you have a lot more atheism in you than you ever thought. And I think there's something good for us to learn and a lot that we could take away and add to our own spiritual expression wherever we are within that realm. This year, I plan to sit down with many different theological minds and hear about their traditions and why they are the way they are and what makes them tick and what gets them excited and how are they apprehending the craziness of the world that we live in. Of course, all of them will be Assyrian. And I'm just so thrilled that we have this opportunity to connect and this platform You know, there are at least 12 different people working in the background of the Assyrian podcast to make this all go. It's all of our hosts who are plotting and planning and meeting with different folks and thinking about an episode that you're going to love. It's also all of our social media people and, of course, our sponsors. So there's so many people that help this thing to be what it is today. And we wanted to reach out and ask Is there someone you believe we ought to be interviewing you'd like us to connect with? Please feel free to email us, go to our website, and submit the nomination form. Or perhaps you're interested in starting your own podcast, and we'd also love to partner with you on that. We'd love to encourage you, inspire you, and also open up this platform so that you'd be able to launch your message as well. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by the Oshana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? John and Rita are available to help make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. 
contact the Oshanas at 209-968-9519. Get to know them a bit more by checking out their website, theoshanapartners.com. And now it is time for Making Room for Atheism with Matthew Sharif. I hope you enjoy. So I have a yes or no question that I'd like to begin with with you. Are you ready? I am. Thank you for having me. It was a nice little relaxing drive, and I'm happy to be here with you, Steve. Well, I am so excited for you to be here, too, and to hang out with you. And so here's my question. It's pretty straightforward, yes or no. I think it'll bring some clarity. Sure. Can you confirm, are you an atheist? Yes, I can confirm. Okay, so now I have a follow-up question. What is it like to worship the devil? Non, non-applicable. <laughs> All right. I love it. Do you get that yes. a lot? Yes, I do. But right. what most people don't understand is that if you worship the devil, you have to believe in God because one cannot exist without the other. Yes, I like this. So this is a very nuanced perspective. All right. So disclaimer, my dog's name is Lucifer. Yes. You told me earlier, you said, I'm going to take a walk with Lucifer. And then you messaged me that photo. And I thought, okay, it's a different ballgame. So Matthew, with everybody who comes on the podcast, we kind of begin a bit with your background, your family background, your full Syrian. Mm -hmm. Um, You're born and raised in San Jose. Correct. Ended up in Turlock area. Mm -hmm. Um, Currently Mm -hmm. doing uh, restaurant management, bartender stuff. Tell us a little more. Uh, grew up in the big city, moved out here to the cuts and it was a very big culture shock. You know, the community was more inwardly focused rather than, uh, outwardly. It was a little more tribal rather than the melting pot I was used to. And, uh, it was an adjustment and, uh, I found a happy medium. So it was a interesting way to grow up and it led me to be who I am. Um, you have siblings? I have a little brother. He's four years younger than me, and he is my baby still. <laughs> okay, good. You did go to college. and Yes, yes I studied communications and uh, also philosophy, uh, but my interest in philosophy stems from high school. Okay, great. So we'll get into that. And I'm guessing your family, did they grow up going to church? Early on, uh, it was definitely more often than as we got older. My mom started working when my little brother started school at about five years old. So uh, at that point, weekends became, oh, we only had one day a week together. It was kind of like, we're going to this grandparent's house. Okay, so the next day we're going to this grandparent's house. And we knocked out all those kinds of things. So it definitely lessened over the years. They were never, I don't want to say not devout, they're believers, but it wasn't, church wasn't a focus of the faith. It wasn't necessary or mandatory. It was Christmas, Easter, and of course for other various occasions. And once every few months might have been like, hey, we just haven't been in a little while. Let's go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So was it a Syrian church of the East? Was it Chaldean? Was it? It was was, uh, Itatakta, yes. Okay, so you grew up getting in that environment. Did you like any aspects of it? Was it interesting for you? It's funny because I kind of retrospect, introspectively went back and examined my journey and I wanted to see if it stemmed from an earlier age than just the critical thinking of adolescence. Uh, and I, you know, for maybe just for comedy reasons, I came to the conclusion that my 
uh, hatred for the smell of bismuth for frankincense mm-hmm. was one of the stemming reasons of me not wanting to go to church to begin with before philosophical reasons came into play. So at some point, <laughs> you smelled the incense and you were like, uh, this is gross. Oh, every time I went, it was just associated with it. If I'm going to church, I have to smell that horrible smell. Isn't it <laughs> amazing how little things like that actually at a younger age shape you? Um, I remember a nun pulling my ear hard (laughs) and after that i was like i don't want to go there i don't want to be a part of that like why did they just pull my ear that hard like my mom didn't pull my ear that hard so it is interesting that for you it was frankincense yeah was enough that you were like my home smells better (laughs) than this i had a similar incident actually too it was one of my earliest memories my brother couldn't have been more than two or three years old and uh, they put us in that little like kids trailer part of the church, like while the actual service is going on. Where like you know, th- there's a lady and she's got puppets and there's you know blocks and things like that. And my little brother was crying. He wanted his mom. He wanted our mom. So I you know went up to the teacher. I'm like five six years old myself, and I'm like I'm gonna take him back. And she wouldn't let us go and she kept telling us to go sit down. And I was like, who the hell is this lady and what is this place this is a terrible place yeah. <laughs> you know, i mentioned how much i love my little brother you know so <laughs> did you just now think of that or was it something you've remembered uh, i remembered it uh periodically and i have a very i'm fortunate enough to have a unique memory where i can you know replay things and remember scents and moments and feelings and things like that so uh, my archives go pretty far back and that's uh, one of the oldest ones i can remember so the majority of Assyrian people, at least uh, the ones who admit it, right, would not say they are an atheist. Mm-hmm. And if you asked them that same question earlier, they'd be like, no, we're not atheists. We're this or we're that or whatever. And what, I, what I'm getting at when I ask you like, about your background is, would you classify yourself as a, a typical mm-hmm. Assyrian man growing up in the Assyrian world? Uh, I would say yes, because, you know, uh, it was the first language spoken at home. Uh, I loved listening to uh, uh, more more Persian music than Assyrian music, but I didn't know what American music was until I was like six years old and I was born here. And nothing negative or catastrophic happened for me to question anything at a young age or say like, or lose my faith because I was angry or anything like that. It was just a, a very slow but gradual point in that direction. So your parents weren't forcing you to go to church and forcing no. you to do all the programs. No, no, no. Because you know, that's a common story, right? It is, it is. Yeah. Like, you didn't have to go to a Christian school growing up. No, no, no. One of the foundational values of my upbringing was, you know, be good to everyone. doesn't matter what color they are, what they believe in, and who they love, and anything like that. And I've always prioritized that over any, you better think like this, or you're going to the bad place. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Uh, have you watched The Good Place? I have not. Okay, I'm I'm in the middle of that, really enjoying it. But that's sidebar. So back back to the thing here. So you grew up in a very typical. When you went to church, did you understand what they were saying? Not really. Okay, so you would show up there and you would see people in these outfits and you'd see sort of this thing happening. You weren't able to comprehend. I mean. You see how nice everyone dresses for church, and uh, you know, you're like, oh, this has got to be like something cool or a big deal. Or, but just sitting there and you know, being raised speaking Assyrian, you you think you know what the language is, but you sit through church and 
I maybe understood one word out of a sentence. Mm -hmm. Was it because they were chanting or was it just the words like the word for grace, for example, you just may not use it on a regular basis. I still don't know what that word is. (laughs) (laughs) So you go to church, you don't understand really. They're doing their chanting. They're doing the whole deal. Did you have to go to youth group? Or no. vacation Bible school? No, never. Uh, actually, my first youth group interaction was after moving to Turlock at the age of, oh, I don't know, 17 or 18. And I had already made my decision by then, but it was I was new to the area. I was trying to make friends. So this girl asked me to go, so I did. And uh, the things we organized, <clears throat> excuse me, the things we organized and the stuff we put together was actually a lot of fun and I did make friends through it, but I totally stayed out of the that half of it that involved church. So were you baptized in a Syrian church? Of the yes, I was. Yeah. So you're official and then you go to youth group. Now, did the girl like you or was she inviting you because she wanted you to like hear the truth? Save my soul? Yes. I think both. Good. That's a good combo, right? I mean, if she likes you, she'd want to save your soul. When you're at that youth group, what was it about that? You you said you had your mind was already made up. Yeah. When did you make up your mind? I made the self-proclamation internally when I was about 14. 14, ninth grade. uh, 10th grade, you know, 10th grade, 13, 14. Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. So ninth, 10th grade when everyone's kind of involved in their churches and youth groups and all these things. Matthew, what led you? How did you, how did that happen? Well, I never had that feeling of missing out on anything or like, why am I not a part of this clique or community? Because there was only one other Assyrian kid at my high school and it was my cousin. And uh, same through elementary school, it was just me and my brother. There were a lot of Persian kids, uh, you know, different, races and things but never any Assyrian kids so it wasn't like something I heard of like oh we did this at youth group or I, w- I went to church and we had this carnival or whatever I, I had no idea that stuff even happened there was never a sense mm-hmm. of like I know what this is so again what what led how did you end up kind of identifying as nope that's not for me uh it was school mostly to be honest with you so, so there was a class you took? And yeah, I was always very particular to mathematics and the sciences. Uh, I believe those are the language of the universe. The more I was hearing it conflicts with this particular deity or this belief system, I was like, well, I think that one is right. And were you in a situation where people were pinning it sounds like they were pinning science versus the bible or science versus god and and so for you you said no this one makes more sense it was never put to me as a one or the other or the choice it was a conclusion i came to on my own because i would notice like well why does why do these people uh, have signs in front of the soldiers funeral saying god hates fags uh, that doesn't sound very cool or very nice or Jesus-like. Whether you grow up in church or not, you got to respect Jesus for being a cool dude and a very nice guy. So if you are totally into him and his teachings and his uh, the structure that man has built around him, why would you be so mean? Mm-hmm. So you saw Christians or people who were presenting themselves as Christians with just very hateful messages. I don't want to make them seem like they were bad people, but they definitely felt more comfortable in expressing their views. You know, for example, uh, 
you're a few years older than me, but I was uh, 13 when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was not a very fun time being brown mm-hmm. and having a big nose. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of that flack came from, you know, Anglo-Saxon white people, Christians, this and that. You know, no, I'm not Muslim. You know, I'm actually been Christian longer than you. My people are uh, OGs in this department. Mm-hmm. You, you jumped on, you know. Those negative messages that were coming from Christians. Did you hear that as Syrian Church of the East? Was it was it Assyrian Christians? No. Okay, so it was mostly non-Assyrian Christians, and you would see some of their propaganda. Yes, but I don't want to give them too much credit in the sense that it wasn't them because they weren't saying it. I just wasn't around them. I didn't even know so many people spoke my language outside of like you know family things and church things and Assyrian picnics and things like that. When I moved to Turlock, it was a very big culture mm-hmm. shock just hearing two ladies speaking Assyrian in Target. So like, oh, they know my secret language, you know, and it's everywhere. Yeah, so, I don't know if people quite understand how many Assyrians are in Turlock and how we're all in close proximity with each other versus mm-hmm. bigger cities where yeah, you're only going to see them if you go to an event. Yeah. It definitely went up a notch in the Assyrian department when I moved here because I was already down my path that way. And uh, I remember one of the first uh, experiences, one of the things that led to a confrontation, verbal, not physical, <clears throat> in this department. Uh, I, it was my first year at Pittman High School here in Turlock. I was 16 or 17, and I was wearing a John Kerry for president pin on my shirt. And, you know, we had just gone into Iraq. It was, you know, support the troops, all that stuff. George Bush is chosen by God. And then so, like, to even uh, have an opposing view amongst high school students, it was a lot of the, uh, what the heck, why are you thinking like this or why are you uh, supporting this guy turned into this is what God wants and things like that. And like, well, I disagree, you know. So this religion one of the religions christianity that's supposed to be the, a loving religion uh, that frees you up to be a good human what you're seeing at 13 14 is it's highly political and it's also mean yes yes and uh to give credit as i have gotten older and had more experiences and uh traveled the world and been to uh other uh, countries that don't have Christianity as their major uh, dominant religion, uh, it is all those things. It is beautiful and warming and welcoming and things like that. But everything has balance. So uh, if you are the most uh, loving and uh, accepting and uh, you know the right path, it's equal on the other side of the spectrum too. You mean in terms of other religions? Yeah, and uh, you know, as an objective observer, I can tell you how many ways that another particular religion, religion, I see it as worse or meaner or things like that. But similar to you said, okay, you were baptized, so you're actually in it, you're coming out of it. I feel a little more comfortable expressing my disdain towards Christians than to other religions. Because, because you're I, a part of it. I'm a part of it, I'm, you know. You said you're an objective observer. Yes. I mean, do you really believe that exists? Uh, like, what do you mean by that? Because my understanding is that all of us are bringing a context, we're bringing a perspective. So, so there is, really isn't an objective observer. There's subjective observers. 
I, I understand what you're saying because it's very hard to remove biases. But uh, before you become an atheist, you go through uh, the agnostic stage where you just claim, I don't know, could be, could not be. I'm okay with either one. Were you ever in that stage? Oh, yeah. It's a necessary step towards uh, uh, atheism. Uh, and that's when you can uh, get the objective observer card because uh, your your team is no team. I have no team. Atheism is a team. I, I chose a team after being above it all and saying, I don't have a team. Everything is okay. And you do you and uh, then you do you. And uh, when you say objective observer, I guess what I'm hearing is you're, you're saying you were just taking stock of what's out there and, and sort of trying to suspend judgment while you see what's happening. And while I read a lot about it, too, because uh, when I started uh, high school and got more interested in different ways of thinking, uh, I told myself, you know, if you're going to make a decision one way or the other or uh, follow one path over another, you better know what you're talking about and what you're missing out on. So I studied uh, Bible more than I had before. I uh, read some Torah, I read some Quran, Buddhism, you know, I went down the rabbit hole. And, uh, you know, then I found my, my love, Socrates, you know? <laughs> mm, okay, so you got into philosophy. <laughs> yeah. And, and were any of those philosophers, did they believe in God or gods? I felt like the ones I agreed with more uh, didn't believe in a God. And even the ones that did weren't, uh, particular to anyone it was more of a concept of god but uh there was a voltaire from france uh karl marx from uh russia or before it was russia and um you know even going back to like watching cosmos reruns of, with carl sagan on mm -hmm. tv and just having that blow my mind and engage me in a way that church never could no matter what language it was in would it be fair to say there was some kind of a spiritual experience happening for you through reading scientific materials? I felt more one with the universe and that like I understood it and I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the blinders of the rules of existence mm -hmm. and that you just learn how things are, not why things are. So that's what science does. It, just, it uh, tells you how, not why. And if uh, you're okay with the why being ambivalent, the learning how is actually really enlightening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to to ascribe a why in mm -hmm. any system, even within Christianity. The why might be love, but then when you look at that why, you're like, but then look look at everything else that's happening here. So within atheism, to be able to say so, so what you're saying is that what's attractive is wasn't necessarily focused on answering some of these existential questions it was more interested in the mechanics yeah yeah and yeah is there room for the why to feed the mechanics the why is so much more interesting of course there is you know? <laughs> yeah so i guess before we get off of the timeline and just start digging into philosophy mm -hmm. uh, or or what you what you think about things you're in high school you're a confirmed atheist at this point anything else that sort of shapes you further down this path comedy comedy for sure george carlin love him mm -hmm. uh, that's definitely a name i was going to bring up uh my real homie though is bill maher mm -hmm. uh, who was a disciple of george carlin's and 
I've been watching him on his HBO show since 2003, right around that same time. And uh, he's always been uh, the the unsung hero of the atheists in this country. He's the atheist pope? Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> okay. So uh, I know he made that one religious. Yeah. Man, there are some funny scenes in that yeah. <laughs> in that movie. So you're you're finding these voices that are opposite of the voices you're raised with and you're loving them. Yeah. yeah. What's your family saying? Have you have you outed yourself? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, big time. And the long the older I've gone and the longer my parents have lived in this country, they've been here since they were teenagers. Uh they keep evolving in how Americanized they are. You know, first, you know, it's like you have to marry an Assyrian girl. You know, then it's like, no, you can marry whoever you want as long as you're happy. And all these little other examples like that. So they've never been upset with it. I think my dad is uh, would never, like, get to that point. You know, he still, like, crosses himself when he gets on the freeway for a long drive and things like that. My mom uh, definitely was more, uh, you know, find your own path and decide what you want. And uh, she's definitely not a non-believer, but uh, there's a lot of it that she also probably wouldn't like. Mm -hmm. And um, so they didn't ever ostracize you for that. And no, then what, sir. What about your brother? Was he, does he go the same path? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so this is, in some ways, it's a family thing. Even though you're raised going to church, but your parents would not identify as atheists. No, no, definitely not. My little brother is uh, very like-minded. He works for the government, in the California government and the state capitol. He, I would say, is actually a little more militant in his beliefs. I think it's just because he's younger. I had that stage, too, where I got so annoyed and angry or fed up with the stuff that I was dealing with and the uh, non what I perceived as nonsense that I was hearing and so I would like purposefully poke mm -hmm. and things like that and make it a mission to make you understand why you know you're wrong or why I think you're wrong and uh, that's something you lose as you get older because you just I don't know if it's you don't have the energy anymore or you just become more accepting and loving of others and you don't feel like you have to prove yourself and there's a long list of, oh, you believe the earth was created in seven days? Well, let me show you this. And all these rabbit holes you could go down of like, I'm right, you're wrong kind yeah. of thing. And, you know, that's like where school comes into play again. Because, you know, when you hear about Galileo discovering or realizing that the earth revolves around the sun and the church is going around killing scientists because it's contrary to what they're teaching... I don't like the church, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. I'm team Galileo in that situation. So I'm, I don't, I wouldn't seek people out to ridicule them or convert them or anything just for them to understand and know what they're saying is contrary to reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a spirit of, there's sort of a spirit of wanting to stand up for the underdog because for all those years, people were ridiculed because of their scientific beliefs. And you're someone who says, that's still happening, and I'm not mm -hmm. going to be okay with it. Right. That. Can you share what have been some strong reactions mm -hmm. you've experienced when telling another Assyrian person that you are an atheist? Uh, I've been sucker punched. 
like punched physically? Oh yeah, right in the jaw. Yeah, I've been sucker punched. I've been dumped. Wait, wait, wait. We <laughs> gotta hear more there. So, so hey, Matt, how you doing? Good. Um, tell me, do you believe in Jesus? No, I'm an atheist. Is yeah, that, is that how that uh, went? Pretty much. Yeah. While I was sitting down too, didn't even have a chance, and uh, got my bell rung, and I kind of didn't know what happened for a second. I turned back and I looked at the guy. I'm like, did you just hit me? And uh, at that point, you know, uh, separation and everyone get apart from each other, all that kind of stuff. But uh, that's, I just, that's intense, man. I, I just uh, turned to him as he was escorted out. I was like, very Christian of you. Hmm. And then uh, it was this was in the restaurant at, uh, at the time when I was working. And uh, a table over had seen the whole thing. And he came up to me, the man at the table. And he was like, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm really sorry that this happened. And I gave him a hug and I said, thank you. You know, he was a, he was a nice man. He was uh, one of the good ones, quote unquote. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've never heard of that one before. I've never yeah. heard of like a physical altercation. Was this yeah. somebody you knew? Any more to that no, story? No, not, not someone I was familiar with. Just uh, someone who happened to be there. And uh, you might, did you say something inflammatory that? No, the guy that uh, invited me to come sit down with them, who I knew uh, was uh, trying to be funny, he's like, hey, hey, tell them your dog's name again. And I just got him. I was like, his name is Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. That was enough. I see. So you, you have a dog, as we said earlier, named Lucifer. He's my son. I love him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and so someone finds out about this. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a very uh, extreme situation, oh, right? For sure. Like you, you probably, is that anything like that happened again? Uh, no, uh, I've been dumped numerous times for Okay, it. tell us about that. So, <laughs> so I'm in love. Matt, you're the best thing ever. Wait, you're an atheist. Yeah, and uh, you know, you get to a point as the years go by that you get it out there pretty early because right. you don't want to waste anyone's time. And yep. uh, you're like, hey, just so you know, you got to be okay with this. And if they're not, you nip it in the butt. That's probably a very hard conversation to have because mm-hmm. there's all these expectations and also what does that mean, right? So great, you're an atheist. And why did you have to tell me that, you know, like is that that important to you you have to know my predisposition and that my critical thinking is more important to me than faith or the belief in an afterlife i feel like the ones who are more serious about it the reason was because it's not about oh yes i can go to church with you or if i married a muslim girl i can go to a mosque or if i married a jewish girl i can go to temple uh, I, I have no problem stepping foot in those places because it's not i don't feel like i'm betraying anything because i don't believe in it but i'll go with you i'll support you just don't try and convert me mm-hmm. and uh you know well, my family is going to be a big problem this and that but the the one I respected the most was the one that told me, yeah, but you're not going to be able, be in heaven with me like if we got married and had a life together and stuff like that. Said, okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's kind of a it's kind of a very peculiar thing, right? Because what's the opposite? You're going to be in hell. <laughs> you know, you're you're going to be in hell and I'm going to be in heaven. And, and when I'm in heaven, my heart will be broken because I know you're in hell. Wouldn't that kind of be a double hell situation happening for me or for her? I mean, every, everyone involved, it sounds like is going to end up in hell. With I don't know how like bad that. it's going to be for me. I'll have uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. And I, I remember that, you know, um, Jim Morrison has a line uh, in one of his songs where he says, cancel my subscription to the resurrection send my credentials to the house of detention i've got some friends in there 
And you know that that's kind of a common theme, right? Like, I would rather go to hell mm. because that's where mm. my people are. Totally. And the uh, I'm a gambler. I love gambling. Okay. I don't let myself gamble. I have uh, set rules for myself because I like it too much. Mm-hmm. I only allow myself to gamble when I go to Nevada. <clears throat> uh, and a lot of gamblers, uh, you know, are go all in on one thing or the other because they want to win big. And uh, that's how you got to play if you want to win. Making the decision or the leap into atheism is like putting all, putting all your stack on red at the roulette table. You know, it's always nice to have a little bit of a backup plan. Like I said, uh, you got to love and respect Jesus and his message. And I actually uh, think of myself more as a Christian than most Christians because of uh, the way I live my life. Uh, I don't uh, cheat. I treat people the way I want to be treated. I have a lot of love to give. I help people when I can. I volunteer to, uh, you know, do what, what it is you need. I turn the other cheek. I forgive. So if I am wrong and I get to the gates and I have all these awesome credentials for being a great human being, mostly because I have an amazing mama, and they say, no, you can't get in, even though you're a really good person, you got to go to the other place and suffer because you didn't accept the proclamation. Like, well, that kind of sucks. I guess I'll go to the other place, you know, but uh, if I'm wrong, I'm hoping my credentials are enough to get Mm -hmm, me in. mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's one of those things where... For so many people, like, you didn't accept Jesus, this means you burn. Yeah. Right? And if if any parent were to say, oh, well, my, my kid betrayed me, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to ground them for eternity. That parent would get CPS called on them yeah, pretty quickly, for sure. right? But yet, within Christendom, there's this idea that, well, you know, you have this life, and if you make a mistake, mm-hmm. you're done So You're... You're going to burn um, forever and ever and ever. So that that's for you. Those are some basic stuff that you're like, yeah, how how could anyone believe this kind of thing? Definitely have that sentiment. Uh, You know, uh, I remember when I had this uh, friend in school, she was Jewish. Uh, She told me that Jews don't believe in the concept of hell. They don't really have hell. If you uh, if you force to sit on a rock that's boiling hot, eventually you'll build up a tolerance to that rock, and it's not going to be hot anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I always found that very fascinating. Right, because in order to keep someone in a state of perpetual suffering, you would have to create a machine or a, a body that right. can keep taking punishment, and then the degrees of punishment would need to be. <laughs> Well, yeah, internally increased. Yeah, and you got to think about the other side of it too. Where if uh, you go to the place where everything is eternally blissful and beautiful and happy, how do you know that? Because in order to know that it's happy and uh, fulfilling, you have to experience suffering and sadness to measure it against. Mm -hmm. So if there's nothing bad up there, there's nothing good either. Well, what you find within certain. Uh, perspectives is you know this idea that while we're here on earth we're sort of this in between right we've got good and we've got evil and then there's sort of a crystallization that happens where or permanence where so now you're in you're in the good place Mm -hmm. and it's there is mystery around it right people some people will say it's harps and you're Mm -hmm. on clouds Mm -hmm. and then you've got you know, other imagery for hell or whatever. But the further down that path you get of trying to understand the mechanics breaks down. It breaks. It makes point, less and less sense. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, that's a tough, 
tough thing. Yeah. So then the question becomes, what happens when you die? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm totally okay with the I don't know answer. Mm-hmm. I do understand that every living being and thing in this universe has energy. And when your body expires, your energy is released, reused, recycled, or interdimensionally transported to a, a an eternity. But does that mean your conscious gets to go with you and you can perceive things? I don't think so. The idea that you, you've got energy and that energy doesn't ever just disappear, right? right. Energy's energy is going to be there. It's going to keep going in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And some of what you said made me sound a little bit like reincarnation or a certain kind of rebirth into something else. And so then it becomes a matter of what about your current essence goes along with you and, and you're saying the odds are it's done. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a belief, mm-hmm. right? That's a belief and that belief is rooted in science it's rooted in or your studies of science maybe is a better way to put it personal experience convictions so you're a man of faith may not be christian faith Mm -hmm. but you've got everyone to a degree has to have faith of a possibility yes is that is that a stretch to say did i put words in your mouth by saying you're a man of faith no i am a jedi like my father before me (laughs) and uh there is a certain frequency i feel like exists that not everyone can access or tap into Mm -hmm. and uh it's not something that you can really seek out uh you can practice to acquire it and uh, i feel like i tapped into it where you can feel harmony with the life around you and you know Another thing I didn't like about Christianity growing up is like you're taught not to worship the earth because you, you it's just a temporary placeholding. You're supposed to go, want to go to heaven. That's your desire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I worship the earth and I worship water and I worship the sun, the holy sun, mm-hmm. wink, wink, <laughs> and uh, air and uh, those elements that give me life. And I actually tell people I love wilderness camping. So when I go wilderness camping, which I have to do every three or four months or so, otherwise I go crazy because I need that time out. Uh, I tell people that's my version of church. It sounds like what has turned you off. One of the things that's turned you off is that Christianity can often be anti-human. Yeah. So you, you have a sense in which this human experience is just so beautiful. And when you hear these messages of, well, one day you're going to die and you're going to go off to heaven and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. It's sort of like saying everything's not okay right now. I had this exact thought the last week I was talking to somebody and, uh, you know, there has to be something else. Uh, you know, they had been drinking a little bit and they were just uh, in their thoughts. And I truly believe there's something else, even though it's not, you know, God this or Allah that or anything like that. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just listening to her. I'm not trying to start a fight or anything. And uh, I thought to myself, the reason she's clinging to this and trying to convince herself so hard about it is she must be really unhappy. And, you know, I suffer and, you know, have trials and tribulations just as much as anyone else. But I love being alive and I love being human. And I felt really bad that, you know, she and so many other people might be having such a bad time and a bad Mm -hmm. human experience that they're looking forward to it, to dying or... It just blows my mind. Yeah, Christianity is often escapism. Yeah. How do I hit the eject button here? 
escapism and sort of the uh, lowering the value of our current experience. For you, you're like, you know what? If life sucks, life sucks. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you know what? One day yeah. I'll be okay because Jesus is going to fix everything. Or reward me for my suffering or whatever, you know? Right. So the thing is, though, people want to ascribe meaning to what's happening. Yes, they do. Now, you're saying you're a happy guy. Yes. So let's bring up a tragedy that has happened within the last sure. year in your life. Oh. Um so, you know, as you say, you're a happy guy. If you, mm -hmm. Do you want to go ahead and share sort of what you've been through? About eight months ago, uh, we lost uh, my best friend and uh, many other people's best friend, son, brother, uncle, cousin, uh, Obi, Obi Sargoni. We lost him at the age of 42. Uh, a huge influence in my life. One of the first things we bonded over as new friends was atheism. I was like, oh my God, there's another one like me. You know, we became roommates. We got the dog together and we stayed best friends ever since. And tragically, he passed uh, back in May. And it was def it's a definitely uh, a gut punch and not so much to uh, philosophy, but just to your heart you know and everyone copes in different ways there are superficial ways like alcohol there are meditations and you know trying to find that peace and things like that and like you said everyone tries to assign meaning to everything so when you get past the why did this happen and then first you also think of it selfishly too. Why this happened to us? How could this happen to us? And then you think about that beautiful person. Like, how could this have happened? Like, why him? Uh, when you take away those things, those, re those questions, and just tell yourself or accept, in my mind, the fact that it didn't happen for a reason. It wasn't a punishment. It wasn't uh, destiny. It wasn't the way things are meant to be. It just freaking happened. And that's it. And unfortunately, it happened to someone we loved and someone we know. It happens every day, everywhere. And it was just our turn. And it's for me, it's comforting. I find beauty in the randomness. And, you know, you, of course, it makes you question again and things like that. Because you hope that maybe I'll get to see him again someday. Or maybe he'll come, you know, visit me in my dreams or uh, mess with my light switches or whatever, you know. And uh, everyone wants to cling to that. Everyone can't let go of that love. It sucks when you do, but it's healthier, I think. So what I'm kind of reading into it, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but for you, ascribing meaning especially like when someone dies you'll hear people say like god needed his angel yeah back. exactly you hear all these sorts of things which actually makes you feel worse and uh, it does because uh like wow you're pretty selfish you took away this amazing mm -hmm. uh, ball of love that is such a part of our lives because you needed him up there even though he didn't believe in you uh, <laughs> well the thing is is uh it it just it doesn't work it doesn't work very well. You know, you want to console someone and yeah. they just lost a loved one. And, and so that's when you drop the whole, like God has his reasons and, and things like this. It's, it's, it's insensitive. I agree. But I also feel that 
on my end to where I have to drop the cold and matter of fact way of explaining it to be more comforting and understanding and yes he's watching over us yes he's always with you all that stuff I may not believe it but I'll say it at the same time I do have those experiences and those instances where I'll turn to my side and I felt he was standing right next to me Mm -hmm. or uh, something will happen congruently with uh, a thought that I had or uh, for example uh, I took one of his dombacks one of his drums that I had brought him as a gift from France when I went by myself I brought it back for him so I took it back after everything and it's been sitting in my living room uh, on display and I had a friend over who was also a very close friend of his we had some music on in the background Uh, we were just uh, getting ready to step outside and get some fresh air and she started dancing for a second and I just turned around and I picked up the drum and I started dancing behind her and I hit the drum maybe but one or two times and keep in mind this thing weighs like 35 pounds and I lugged it across the world and uh, even dislocated a rib out of my sternum for it Mm. uh, 10-12 years ago and it survived all that and all the moves that he made but as soon as I picked that drum up and started playing it and dancing behind her the strap broke and the drum fell to the ground Wow. And I, we looked at each other and I turned around. I was like, okay, fine. I won't touch your drum, mm-hmm. you know? And it's cute and it makes us feel better. And it might have actually happened and it could have actually been him. Do I think so? Probably not, you know? But it does make someone feel better. And I understand that sometimes the truth isn't good enough and that people deserve to have their faith rewarded. And I don't mean faith rewarded as a religious thing that was actually a line from the dark knight if anyone caught that sometimes the truth is not good enough and people deserve to have their faith rewarded and i understand that and i'm more of a joker fan myself yeah (laughs) so so the there's two extremes there's one extreme that says they're in a better place they're finally seeing things that they've always wanted to see and they're completely fulfilled and happy and dancing with all the angels, including every everyone you can imagine. Yeah. And then there's, they're gone, never to return. It's completely over, except uh, yeah. that it lives in your memory. And yes, they live through you. And when your memory dies, they die completely. Yeah, it's actually a trip to consider the fact that one day there will be a person, uh, there will be a time on this earth or this uh, exi- plane of existence that nobody's going to know you ever existed mm-hmm. or remember you or care for you or love you, no matter how many generations down the line you might be talked about, you know, unless you're Abraham Lincoln. Do you think anyone will ever forget about Jesus or Buddha or no, but Gandhi? No, absolutely not. Uh, hopefully not anyway, especially with Gandhi. Uh, but Matthew Sharif, at some point, he'll oh, be for forgotten sure. about. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for someone who values themselves uh, highly, I think to myself, what a waste or how unfortunate. How could it be that, you know, my existence and things I contributed to living and experiencing uh, won't matter or mean anything to anyone anywhere ever. And it's very minimizing. And... A lot of people can feel squashed by it, you know, like that whole look up at the stars, you're as insignificant as that glimmer up there that 
the star doesn't even exist anymore, but the light is still traveling here. Uh, it does make you feel small and uh, vulnerable, mm -hmm. but only if you let it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's also this... So your beliefs about the way the world work impact your experience of the world. They Absolutely. impact how you see the world. They impact um, what you do in the world. You know, I remember um, having some different theological conversations where some would say, well, you know, this earth is, is meaningless and, you know, we're all just going to go to heaven and some people are going to go to hell. And then the response was, well, then why clean the brass on a sinking ship? Yeah. And or the re rearrange the chairs on the Titanic. Right. Why you know, rearrange the, the chairs? Deck. Yeah, exactly. So then the response was, well, it's your duty. And it was like, okay, I, I guess I could live with that. But wouldn't it be nice if I added in there the idea that by doing these things, you are, you are ensuring that they go on for a long, long, long yeah. time. It's always for the posterity. There's got to yeah. be some sort of a reward or some sort of um, consequences or tie-in between what happens here and then what happens next. Yes. I just uh, actually like, you know, kind of like raised my eyebrow in like defense when you said like, you know, the earth is meaningless. And like, I find that totally uh, wrong. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is the only existence we know. You know, if you think about where you're going to go afterwards, you have to ask, where were you before here? Mm-hmm. Did your soul already exist? Are you a reincarnated version of someone else? And if so, does that make you less unique and special? If you're just someone else's round two or 57 or whatever at shot at life. Uh, mm -hmm. So are any of your thoughts original and your own? Uh, or is it simpler than that? And it's just... You're just a piece of matter and then if, you're done. If you don't remember where you came from... Or, and you don't know where you're going to go. If I always saw it as the place you're going to go is the place you are where, where you came from, where you don't remember anything. You don't remember that existence before being a human, mm -hmm. a soul yanked out of non-existence and put into flesh. Right. And within different Christian beliefs or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or whatever it is, um, there are concepts that try and solve some of these things like for example within christendom there's the idea of resurrection mm -hmm. and resurrection is actually really interesting because it's it's an embodied uh embodied return or yeah. an embodied existence um on this plane on this uh, earth it's got to be yeah. because if you're gonna get a body and then that body needs oxygen mm -hmm. now unless you're of course being recreated into something that doesn't need oxygen and if it doesn't need oxygen then where exactly is it going to and it's confusing yeah. and and so you read like the gospels and you see when jesus is resurrected he does things like he eats mm -hmm. and but then he walks through walls mm -hmm. so you start to wonder like wait a second now is this dude human is he a different mode of existence and or is he just a concept? Is it just a concept? And what what would you? How would you? What would that concept be? I always thought to myself, if people read and followed the Bible, 
for what I see it as, as a story and where everything is a metaphor for something that could have happened or did happen. Uh, you know, no one didn't, no one here is denying that Jesus existed. Uh, you think the actual guy was a real guy? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was... Awesome guy. Okay. So you think that it, this was not a fabricated uh, human being kind of thing? No. I think the lure around him was... Uh, an opportunistic uh, way of controlling the masses. Say more. Um, I, I don't know what that means. Like, you think Jesus was like a big hypnotist kind of thing? No, no, not at all. I think he was actually a really, just a really good person who uh, had a beautiful message. I just think his mom slept with the milkman and didn't want to get stoned to death. So uh-huh. she made something up. Okay. Well, there are there was dating back to the first century the idea that perhaps the the mom had been uh, been forced upon by a Roman soldier, right? So that was actually circulating around that time. Interesting. Um, in fact, the Roman soldier's name was wait for it, Pantera. True true story. And you know, there's that band mm-hmm. Pantera. So anyway, it's <laughs> a total a side note. <laughs> so so what you're saying then is there's something amazing about this human being Mm -hmm. and really it was a rebranding of of them that for the masses to be able to find kind of meaning and hope for their own life yeah and uh there you know there was a time in roman history during their empire uh where there was a uh, council convened where they uh decided which gospels to include which ones to exclude and Mm -hmm. uh, never even acknowledge and any of the ones that showed him or depicted him, Jesus being as a uh, mortal, were uh, evicted mm-hmm. for the sake of uh, the prowess and the uh, majesty of his existence. And uh, using someone or something, a message that powerful, especially with the backup of eternal damnation behind it, if you don't follow it, is a great way to get everyone in your empire in line. Um, so in your reckoning of the Christian story, there's a guy, Jesus. He's an amazing guy. He does awesome things. Mm-hmm. They then take his story and they pitch it a certain way because, um, because they needed that. Either they needed it or they just were smart enough to realize that this is how we can cash in both cash in and keep and keep everything in control. And uh, so, yeah, so that that's an interesting piece. So you have a bunch of people um, or even maybe a small group. They're at a higher intelligence level than the masses. And they're looking at the situation and they're saying, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some virtue signaling, some ethics. Mm -hmm. And this guy is going to be our poster person for all of that. And we're going to tailor this message so that people will be intellectually withheld within it. Mm -hmm. So that society can keep functioning the way we want it to function. Keep everything within the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I've always uh, thought that particularly to be a very good strategy. And it doesn't mean that it was formed with malcontent, like for the sake of dictatorship or anything like that. 
But when you have so many subjects and your empire keeps expanding, you know, you got to think of a way to uh, keep everyone in line. And what better way than uh, there is an invisible imaginary father figure being who is monitoring your every move and you better be good. Otherwise, you're going to go to hell. Mm hmm. Because you can't be everywhere all the time. And, how, of course, parents use that with their kids. You know, I may not be able to see you, but, you know, who can, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, if you uh, push your brother and as soon as you turn to walk away, you stub your toe and they say, well, God struck you back for what you did, you know? It's like, well, damn, all right, I'm sorry, you know? But, like, I also just turned the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on as I as I try to process some of that, for me what's hard what's challenging is first of all that whatever that plant it didn't work mm-hmm. right it's there's been wars upon wars upon wars within human history mm-hmm. um and then um it it seems to me that if in mm-hmm. fact someone was that sort of talented to orchestrate this wouldn't that then put them on some sort of a Next level human. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pope Constantine knew what he was doing. <laughs> uh, okay, excuse me, Emperor Constantine. <laughs> so, so, do we then say, "Hey, whoever orchestrated this, like, hats off to them. Like, we are their loyal followers." Because well, it was very methodical. Because it, the question was, how do we assimilate so many different and older ways of believing into this new version? And one of the easiest ones was moving the birth of the perceived savior to a human uh, figure uh, uh, his birth date specifically moving it uh from late summer to uh december 25th at the when the winter solstice is happening in the in the uh, pagans worshipped uh, their new year, that's when their new year started to turn and uh changing all the holidays and, and changing some of the names and things like that just to make conversion on mass easier Mm-hmm. Right, they're they're definitely taking the Roman calendar, Christianity's mm-hmm. borrowing concepts. Um, in fact, I believe it was um, Augustus Caesar who was hailed around mm-hmm. the time of Jesus was hailed the Son of God, because after Julius Caesar died, there was the star that appeared, mm-hmm. and and people said that is Julius Caesar's star, so, something like that. And Augustus was his son, so mm-hmm. so he was hailed. So you see, even within the first century writings of the Christians, they are borrowing Roman propaganda. Oh, and sure. rather than applying it to sort of the king who's got all power, who's mm-hmm. ruling in Rome, they're saying, no, no, it's actually this this little person named Jesus who loves people. Yeah. The inverse happened as well, where it's the symbols of uh, paganism that... Uh, you know the encompassing circle with all the elements of you know fire, water, life, and all these things. It makes a pentagram. Well, pentagram is a symbol of the devil. It's not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. It has nothing to do with the devil. Mm-hmm. It's actually really uh, beautiful. But don't you dare draw that uh, star with the circle around that. Your mom is gonna call your pe- pr- uh, pastor real quick. If I'm listening to this podcast right now, and let's say I'm a devout Christian. I would argue that there is enough people who are listening that are saying, I don't know what Jesus or Christianity Matt has heard of, but it's not the one I'm a part of. And the one that I'm a part of is one that actually challenges the status quo. One that says, yeah, this whole Bible, religion, church stuff is not for me. 
but my idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus says to the world is one that aligns with science. It aligns with using kind of common sense. So I'm not going to leave the church just yet. Right. Do you think that has uh, something to do with uh, a younger and more educated uh, population and up and, you know, growing up over here rather than the old world, you know, like that type of, uh, oh, I'm not even going to listen to this guy or entertain what he has to say. It's very, you know, archaic thinking, like back to our grandparents and parents, like look at us sitting here and, uh, right. I'm not going to punch you. Yeah. <laughs> you could try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to, after the podcast, we're going to put the boxing gloves on and just, you, you put sugar in my tea without asking. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, why why is that? I do believe that we have even that word believe is an interesting word. Mm-hmm. Um now within the Eastern Christian tradition, the highest virtue is not knowledge. So what you find in Western Christianity is is you find the I think therefore mm-hmm. I know, so it's it's about your understanding and your ability. I think therefore I am, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that, I think that was therefore Des- I Rene am. Descartes. Yes. <laughs> so within Western Christianity, you find here's our what we think is really important. And what I believe has happened within Christendom is a lot of people have adopted this I'm gonna prove it. Mm-hmm. And so people who are into that kind of thing, scientific method of proof and testing hypothesis Mm -hmm. and then retest and they're like, oh, you're trying to prove that you're talking on my terms. Mm -hmm. So within Western Christianity, you find massive clashes with science. Mm -hmm. And then you have people who are like doubling down on we believe. And if you don't believe it's you're going to the bad place. Yeah. I remember talking to an evangelical Christian who was very clear that some people are going to go to heaven and some people are going to go to hell. And it's it's strictly based on whether or not you accepted Jesus Christ yeah. in your heart as your Lord. Do all the Savior. bad things you want as long as you go to confession. You know, like, it doesn't matter. You still be, get in. You know, it's, I never liked that knowledge, that uh, part of it. You know, like you could sin as much as you want because it's part of being the human experience. And uh, that's why Jesus died to absolve you of your sins. So go ahead and do whatever you want. As long as you go ahead and repent on Sunday, you're still getting in. It's like, well, you can't kill somebody and go to church and ask for forgiveness and still get into heaven but i'm a really good person and i when i go up there i can't get in because i didn't accept and believe you didn't know the code but i was a way better person than you mm-hmm. you know i don't want to believe in a, a afterlife like that if that's those are the rules well the there's this uh, credit card in it it's got it's got a the word jesus on the one side of it and then the other side of it says sin all you want <laughs> Swipe here. Yeah, yeah, it's been paid for. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the Jesus card. You could just send. And in, in fact, there's a there's uh, until a until collections comes knocking. Mm-hmm. But well, hey, you know, if this is just some consumeristic transactional deal, mm-hmm. I've sinned. But Jesus is the Son of God, which gives Jesus this holy blood. So when that blood gets murdered. That means great news for everyone else because our sort of not whole son of God and you know it, it's a big general ledger, yeah. <laughs> and and 
and that's that starts to break down for people but what i find fascinating is yes on the western side of christianity you see that but i remember asking someone in the eastern side the very same question of like what happens when you die and the answer was we don't know mm -hmm. it's up to god what happens and if someone's going to go here or someone's going to go there and it was i remember that was the biggest question I had, I said, well, I don't understand. You don't mean they don't talk about this at your church? They don't make it a point of who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell? And it's, no, it's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's this other thing. So I do think it's important when we have these conversations, like which Jesus are you talking about? Which yeah. Christianity are you talking about? Are you talking about the one you experienced of uh, the, the people who are just spewing out hate. Are you talking about the Republican Jesus? Are you talking about the white? Are you talking about the white Jesus? Are you talking about the New Age Jesus? Are you talking about the uh, Assyrian Jesus? You know, um, how do you? I mean, would you say that you can find yourself within that spectrum anywhere? Yeah, and especially you know because we grew up here in this country rather than back home. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was born here in the States. We get more of the Western Jesus. And that part, that point you brought up is actually one of the biggest problems I had with Christianity as a whole was the suspension of critical thinking in favor of the bliss of not knowing being heralded as a trait, a positive trait, mm -hmm. rather than a, a You're detriment. You're more faithful. Rather yeah. than a detriment. Like I think that in order to get to a place uh, of happiness and understanding of the world and what comes after is you need to be able to ask these questions and uh, come up with answers. And I don't know is a ex perfectly acceptable answer, but to dismiss the questions and, uh, you know, faith has no room for doubt. And uh, if you doubt, you know, you're weak and your faith is uh, crumbling. But uh, I believe doubt is good. And I don't just mean in uh, doubting whether or not there's a God or not. I mean, doubting yourself is good. Uh, doubting people around you can, uh, you know, get you more prepared and come to conclusions th that you've thought out to where, yes, this person is good for me and to be in my life. Or, yes, this is the right decision for me to take this job mm -hmm. and move. Because if I just say, I'll, I'll leave it up to God and see what happens. That's not a very smart bet, in my opinion. I'll, uh, you know, if I'm betting on a horse, I'm gonna, you know, research what kind of parents did this horse have? Do they like going through the mud, the slop, and uh, can they run through rain and all this other stuff? And then I'll place my bet on a horse. But I'm not just gonna say, oh, I'll pick that one and put my finger down on the paper and say, let's see where it takes me. I don't have that trust and faith, uh, and I envy people that do because they have a, a in a lot of cases, less of a burden in day-to-day uh, -day decisions because it's all going to work out fine. Mm -hmm. It's all going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. Not for me. If I choose one thing and it doesn't go the way that I want, it's my fault. I could have changed it by doing something else, by making a different decision somewhere prior. So you're saying there's a type of Christianity that removes accountability. Removes accountability, removes the desire to figure out in favor of the mystery, as you put it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that, again, goes back to this general theme that the Christianity you've seen is a Christianity that devalues the human experience. Like taking a risk is not the thing you'd want to do. And, and actually, I believe a lot of churches are selling certainty. 
Yes, where I'm a, a student of doubt. Okay, so now is it possible for there to be a viable Christian expression that's got deep and profound doubt as well as some proclamation of an idea or belief or a truth? Oh, yeah, there's so, so many, you know, yes, you know, we, you know, you talked about East and West and, you know, we're kind of good uh, examples of what it is when they come together because our people and our church is the most ancient it can be, Where, but we live in the most modern mm -hmm. uh, and advanced society to have ever existed. So it's a nice uh, blend. And, you know, sometimes you get pulled in the more traditional direction. Sometimes you get pulled more in the progressive and uh, evolutionary direction. But it doesn't mean one is good and one is bad. It's just... You, they, I've seen churches with stars of David on them with rainbows around them because Jews and homosexuals are welcome. Where mm -hmm. there are other churches where uh, don't you dare step foot in this place. So there's definitely uh, room for all the versions mm -hmm. uh, from strict to tolerant to loosey-goosey to, you know, punishing. <laughs> I mean, and that's what's interesting is that you look at Christianity and think, oh, this is a monolithic religion mm. but then you watch the expressions and you just wonder and that's across the board everyone will say oh well there's only one of our kind of church but like mm. go visit that church in ohio and see how they're they are there go mm -hmm. visit them in in africa or australia and you know variety is built into being a human and even though we want to act like oh well my cult here on this place is just like your thing over there mm -hmm. no matter how you slice and dice it you know there, there's going to be differences and so the trying to sell certainty it, it breaks apart eventually it yeah. just breaks apart and and my question for you is if there was a community that said we are interested in knowing more about jesus and quote unquote worshiping jesus while going deep into the doubt of who Jesus mm -hmm. was, would you ever be like, now that's a community I'd like to be a part of? It's a community I would definitely respect more and uh, be appreciative that they're around. But I don't feel that void after, uh, you know, it's funny to say it this way, accepting atheism into mm -hmm. my heart, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what people would say. They, yeah. they would say, you know what? I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose a piece of me or uh, become lesser. I, I became alleviated and uh, evolved and more intelligent in my uh, opinion of myself. So I always like, like you know, people feel bad for you. Like you don't believe in you. You don't have that in your heart. And uh, I was like, yeah, I feel better, though, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, you're wrong. I'm just saying don't feel bad for me. Uh, there was a episode of that show on Bill Maher that uh, I saw many years ago. He said, uh, why is it why is it you guys meet? And he was speaking to a conservative Republican who was a Christian. Why do you go around and like forcing it on people and me and this and that? And she said, you know, if you have an abundance of food and uh, you're always uh, content, and you see someone who's starving, you're going to want to share your food with them. It's a compassionate thing to do. And he just stays quiet and he looks at her and he says, I'm not hungry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, like, that's a great way of putting it. I'm not hungry. Right. Now, 
you did mention earlier of of you know losing ob mm -hmm. and one question around that was okay you're not hungry but has there been any part of you that has thought you know what i kind of hope this stuff this this whole jesus stuff like or Gandhi or Buddha or, you know, whatever, whatever is, the entity that, is, yeah. that there is some kind of a reconciliation that happens and goes beyond my personal experience right now. I wish that all the time. Okay. I just don't think it's the case. Yeah. So what you're having is a clash of your will and your mind. It's my, my heart and my will and my mind. Yeah. yeah it's uh, I think the will is more on the mind side. I think the heart is the, you know, what you feel inside and uh, how, mm -hmm. you know, how you perceive those feelings. And uh, as, you know, even brained as I am, you know, left, right, artistic, analytical, everything like that, I always end up siding with my brain. Uh, my brain just outsmarts my heart. And yeah, you know, when you like when you bet on the 49ers to win it all and they make it farther than they are supposed to go, it makes you feel so good. But I picked the Rams to win because that's what my brain told me. No matter how much I wanted the Niners to win for my friend, I didn't. I'm a Niner hater, just for full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you listening in Australia and you know different places, we uh, we watch this thing called football, but it's actually not a soccer ball. It's, it's, <laughs> anyway, that's enough about that. So so your heart. It's and like your rugby. Mind, yeah, kind of like rugby. So your heart and your mind clash all the time. Now. Is there an atheist community where you're able to bring those things together? I mean, we don't have the predisposition to congregate and get together. We just engage in discussions and share a drink or like talk about things and, you know, want to be heard and hear what other people have to say. And yeah, we like to, you know, be with like-minded people, but there's no... I'm not saying they don't exist, but there's no atheist church we go to or a place we congregate just to discuss this week's follies in the in religion and uh, you know advances in science. It doesn't happen like that. It's more of a you know like oh yeah, me too, cool. You know. Yeah. Have you felt that your Assyrian pride has diminished due to your atheism? Totally. It's very, they're very hand in hand. It's on the flag, you know, like uh, it's essential to the Assyrian identity. To, the first thing you say is I'm Christian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, sp we speak the language for Christ's sake, no pun intended. It, that's pretty cool. And uh, I think it puts us a lot closer in that six degrees of separation to him than anyone else in the world, no matter how hard they worship. Um, and being inside like that, it it is... It's like a, a pyramid and your foundation on the bottom layer is pulled out from under you. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I, I'm very proud of my Assyrian heritage and all the contributions to society that uh, we've made and all the advancements in humanity going back to the wheel for crying out loud, you know. But it's not disheartening. It's a little disappointing that you can't feel that pride without the Christian association. Put you to feel it. like you can't? No, I feel like most people cannot. Like it's, uh, I can, 
I, I feel... Uh, like when you decided you were an atheist, did you also decide to no longer be proud or represent your Assyrian no, heritage? No, not at all. And that, that never happened. No. Do you think that's a factor in why Assyrians maintain their relationship with their churches is the sense of this is also my culture? 100%. And it's not just atheism. There's a, It's prevalent in homosexuality as well. People who feel that they would be rejected or ostracized by the foundational community of their existence uh, can't come out and be who they are because they don't want to lose that fundamental element of their being. Mm -hmm. So for you, the, you would liken that in the same sense. For you to come out as an atheist has been... It, 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 was, it felt just like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't know if it felt like that because... No, because I'm not gay. I never yeah, went through that. But... Right. Metaphorically, just to honor the LGBTQ plus yes. community. I mean, everyone's got pain, and some pain looks different than others. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, there is a weight lifted off your shoulders once you are self-acknowledging of who you are and what you are. And it's very unfortunate that there are places, more often than not, churches that reject you or uh, the so beautiful soul that you are because of something that you have no choice over now in my case you're right i did have a choice you know i made a conscious effort it's not something i was born with atheism that's a ridiculous concept you know but uh it's very empowering to say what you want when you want and not worry about what people think about you mm -hmm. and not being involved in church meant that not believing in god was much easier for me than it might be for uh, someone who grew up on a weekly church basis who might think exactly the same way I do and have the exact same sentiments and might be listening to things like, wow, this guy gets it. Uh, he thinks just like I do. But they'll never say it out loud. Right. Because of the sense that, oh, well, I'll be outed and I won't be able to be a part of the community. Exactly. Do you think there are a lot of atheists who are Assyrian and are nervous about sharing that because of that reason? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are, well, I can't say anything like that while my parents are still around. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, yeah, I, I might think that way, but it's not enough to, like, make a ruckus over, you know? So they'll just go through the motions, they'll go to church, they'll get married in the church, whatever, and it's just part of their lives, and it might not mean anything to them, but they'll go through the motions. For me, I'm more like, no, I'm not even going to go through the motions anymore. Would it help if there were churches who decided that they wanted to actually connect and not just push their truth on you, but actually want to learn more about how you can have healthy conversations? You know, in my experiences, I've actually noticed that uh, American churches, white churches, do that better than our churches. How? Our church is very... This is the way it is. This is what you got to do or else this is going to happen. American churches, and maybe it's because of the language barrier too. You just understand better and they can create a more better understanding for you to uh, accept. I feel like they're less, I don't want to say tyrannical, but authoritarian about it and more interested in what you have to say rather mm -hmm. than, no, you just listen to me, finger yeah. pointing, you know? I think everybody is struggling with what does it mean to have 
spirituality slash religion slash faith, whether it's atheistic faith in how the cosmos works because mm -hmm. of what we've read and learned, or this idea that these stories in the scriptures or our religious text is the code for helping us to think across the board, especially with the pandemic. I mean, essentially humanity has had to admit at this point that there are organisms that are much more powerful mm -hmm. than humans. I mean, not much more. We've developed a vaccine and also the, even the, the COVID-19 was hitting, if it, hel if it hit mm -hmm. a healthy adult, not most of the times they'd be okay, mm -hmm. but it was when it was hitting, you know, so, so all of that has caused a shift and, and some churches are just sort of praying this whole thing away and others are going to maybe start asking, wait a second, like we've been talking about God and Jesus and the Bible, but what about what's happening right here on this planet? Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's because of the lockdown aspect of the pandemic or uh, just a general shift in the direction of what the hell is going on here. But, uh, you know, those types of uh, uh, ways for those churches to exist that you were talking about where they might be a little more inclusive and want to seek scientific answers. Meanwhile, uh, maintaining Christ's uh, position and things like that. I think that's great, and I'm all for the. I, I love the community aspect of it. I love how they help each other and they build. They uh, uh, what's the word? Um, they help network. They fellowship. Yeah, they, they, they yeah, and uh, it, it is like a family, a different family, and I'm totally cool with that. And I feel like that with my work family. I feel like that with my circle of friends. Um, I feel like that when I'm at Comic Con with other nerds, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, as soon as the part about the divinity and the uh, immaculate uh, immaculate reception, another football reference, <laughs> conception, immaculate mm -hmm. conception, um, and the resurrection and the walking on water and those things, like, I'm out. I check out at that point. Like, I'm all for all the other stuff. And if you want to use Jesus as the centerpiece for creating that environment, by all means. But as soon as it gets to that fantastical non-physically possible stuff in the world of science i'm out like mm -hmm. the rest all the good stuff you're doing uh it's okay but i automatically discard it just because i can't grasp i can't jump in that part of it okay i'm gonna put on my christian evangelist kirk my... you're gonna be kirk cameron no <laughs> no please no <laughs> you know what growing pains was good beyond that man it was uh anyway uh I won't leave you behind, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, actually, to me, this is not even a Christian statement. This is just a statement, okay? Um, if I wanted to challenge this, this kind of thing, I would probably say something like this. I would say, everybody's looking for meaning. Everyone is trying to understand why they're here and what they're doing and what they ought to do that the more you know about who you are and why you're here and what you're supposed to do allows you to experience the world which we want to experience. What you find in these stories, like Cinderella, no one has ever said, what was the fairy godmother's last name? You know, <laughs> no one has said, where did the prodigal son actually live? And 
these are all stories, right? And these stories give shape and meaning to our existence that even if I've screwed up, there's still the possibility that I could get forgiven. I could get, mm. you know, uh, forgiven and brought back into the community. Even if I'm stuck with my stepsisters or stepbrothers or whatever, and they're treating me mm. like trash that mm. you never know when something might show up like tonight something good could show up and is there room for matt to say wait a second like maybe i i suspend the science and i say i'm gonna re look at this whole thing and say jesus being born of a virgin what what's actually being communicated here Forget the physics for a mm. minute. Why Why include that? Is it just to give the guy some more hocus pocus magic? And if we give him some more hocus pocus magic, now whatever he says is authoritative. So if he says, no, that that trash can right there is actually a dinosaur, we mm. have to believe him because, because he was mm-hmm. born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't say stuff like that. Right. But if he did, now you may well, not you're have... you're going to believe the guy that was born without a, a physical... Uh, and Wasn't it Anakin that dude, had... you took the words right out of my mouth? I was about to bring up the midichlorians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told you I'm a Jedi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you find these weird deals within the spiritual mm. realm of oh, well, he was born a virgin, and you know this god showed up, Zeus showed up, and did this, and Hercules, and all these things. So mm. these are all they could be mythical. Is there a way in which? Um, we are creating reality with these stories and um, there, there's something that they're bringing that simply science can't help us with. Yes, but the key word that you said was stories. If you view it as a story, it can be very beautiful and have a lot of meaning. But if you view it as historical fact and uh, a concrete version of living i disagree with it you know i totally buy into it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to pass through the gates of heaven Uh, because you know you love the poor you know take care of heal the sick these are all amazing and concrete values of mine and guess where they came from jesus but you know, that should mean that. But he did, definitely didn't get raised from the dead in three days. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where the breakdown, the historicity reduces what value there is when you have when you're forced into believing that this actually happened. Yeah. And if you're able to take the stories uh, for their moral meaning rather than their literal occurrence, I think religion would have a much easier time coexisting with uh, the advancements and realizations and discoveries that we've made over the last couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. So then the follow-up question to that is, is it possible scientifically that these things actually did happen and we can't understand it. Mm, I don't think so, only because, and I know there's so much left to discover and all that stuff, but I think humans deserve a little more credit. 
And uh, I think that the intelligence that we have and the understanding that we have, which I mean more in an academic sense than a philosophical or existential sense, is really freaking advanced, man. I mean, we don't even know half the stuff that can be done, you know? And one of the big issues in my formative years in that, like, 13, 14, you know, 2001, 2002, was uh, I remember stem cell research was and treatment was a big issue and something that the Bush administration, like, completely, like, struck down and outlawed. And I thought to myself, like, why would they not let this occur why would they let people die and uh, children die because even though there are life-saving methods that we can discover by doing this oh it's because they have to use uh, the stem cells come from a fertilized embryo and things like that like okay so you know and yes i understand the back the back and forth that goes after that but devaluing human life that already exists in favor of the mystery or something that doesn't exist yet or might not exist ever doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I prioritize this life and this earth over whatever comes next or whatever came before because that's all I know. Mm-hmm. Now, you, keep, you say that word believe. I like to use I think rather than I believe when I speak like that because uh, believing indicates that like this is what I think without... Uh, having uh, reasoning behind it and uh, so when I say I think this and I think that uh, I think that the virtue of belief is a detriment on the advancement of society well because a belief is it's sort of an axiom that you hold on to and it's not flexible Mm -hmm. right is that what it is there's a certain certitude of a belief of I know this to be true yeah and then you have to worry about the hubris of saying I know because you know you want to say like this is what I think it's not what I know uh, but I think it's okay to say I know sometimes and be so bold like but, but do you then not run into the same problem on the other side yes because when a Christian says I know God exists I'm like no you don't you know? but, but, you, but you don't know that God doesn't exist I don't but see there's a, here's another interesting aspect of the conversation that uh, we haven't gone to yet I always felt that from people who disagree with me which is the majority of people it was like, oh, yeah, then how come this? Or why did this? Or how does that happen? I'm like, yo, the burden of proof is not on me. It's not up to me to prove there's no God. You have to operate in the disposition that there is no God, prove that there is one. That That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to see it to believe it. It's not because I haven't seen it. But I hate it when people say things like, oh, you can't see the wind either, but it's there. You know, or like, you don't see your brain, but it's there. You haven't seen $5 million in cash in front of you, but we know it exists. Right. Or even something that's not physical, you know, like love. You know love exists because mm-hmm. you felt it and you've had it given and you've had it taken. And uh, I totally get the metaphor, but that's how I see it. I don't see it as a literal thing. When you take faith and assign it a, a matter, uh, I think it's unjustified. So um, I always thought that uh, the burden of proof was on the prosecution, and the prosecution was God, uh, the side of God. And uh, 
I would defend my beliefs, but it's not up to me to convince you that there is no God. The reality for me is there is no God. If you want me to believe it, it has to be proven to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are the kinds of conversations that are deep into binary thinking. Yeah, There's very little room for mystery. There's very little room for, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and let's let's kind of keep processing this. But anyway, I think, Matt, in the time we've had together, I've had a lot of fun processing with you your your faith. Yeah, there was a line in House of Cards that I always loved where uh, the Kevin Spacey character turns to the camera in church while he's delivering a eulogy and says, I pray to myself for myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, dude. You know, sounds selfish. It sounds mean or evil, but it's just, you know, you can't worry about what happens around you and who does it and who does all you can control is what you do and i value the self very much and i value the us very much so for things to separate us like religion is disappointing to me because uh, i grew up uh, my best friend of 29 years almost uh, comes from a muslim background the, the first girl I uh, was uh, really cared about in high school was Jewish from Israel. And I never had these borders in my way. Of All I saw was people and humans. And uh, moving to Turlock and being put in that tribal and very uh, Christian-oriented and involved community was very rattling and uh, actually helped accelerate me from a casual teenager who just decided this is how I'm going to be into being a militant atheist. I remember one of the this is back in like 2010 or 11 when memes were brand new for any of you guys memes or when there's a picture and a message on it just to get a point across and the first one I ever posted on Facebook was a picture of Jesus with a giant grin on his face saying your girlfriend screams my name when you have sex. And I got so much shit for that. And I thought it was hilarious. I was just like, I thought it was a joke. Like, uh, people got so offended and, the, you know, threats and, you know, arguing and this and that. And as I got older, I lost that, that little tickle to poke the bear and fan the fire. You know, uh, like, who cares, man? You just do you. I'll just do me. You mm-hmm. know, it's not my job to change your thinking. You just have to be okay with mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're, you reacted to being in some ways just put down mistreated like oh you're an idiot you're an atheist let me tell you why you're an idiot yeah Um, how many times i've heard you're going to hell you know things like that it just the thing is man is i get all that but at some point you know you're gonna die yep and i'm gonna be in the good place and Uh you know poor you you're gonna be in the bad place (laughs) and dude we won't be able to keep our conversations going (laughs) I'll, I'll sneak you in through the back. Don't worry. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I'll have people there waiting for me all with the, with the uh, secret code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's this there's this proverb of um, it goes something like Seamus dies, and when Seamus dies, he gets to the pearly gates, and Peter's standing there, and Seamus sees all of his friends, and they're behind him. They're in, you know, they're going the other direction. Mm -hmm. 
And Seamus says to Peter, you know, let him in. Let let me let me bring these guys too. And Peter says, you know the rules. You know yeah. the rules. And he's like, no, no, come on, you know, just get them in. And he's like, no, no, you you know the rules. And Seamus then says, you know what? He turns around and goes the other way. And then he he's down the path and he looks back and he sees that Peter's got this huge grin on his face. That and it's a smile of like yes he you, passed the test yeah you passed the test you sounds like it. me you know that's uh, what I was thinking when you said that but you know what I'm going with my friends like uh. <laughs> yeah and at the same time I hope there's a world in which we can all work together you know love one another and uh, find uh, you know earlier you actually said something that you said I have more respect for humans. You know that than than these stories, right? Mm-hmm. Because these stories give glory to God, and they yeah. kind of take away the glory. From oh, I'm all about giving credit to mankind. And I would argue, which is a, probably a foreign idea for many Christians um, and Chris, within Christendom, a lot of different traditions. I would argue that these religious traditions actually are designed to lift up the place of humans within the the cosmos but it's much easier as a preacher pastor religious person synagogue leader rabbi telling people that they're not good enough and then giving them things to do to make them feel Mm -hmm. good enough that's not a religious thing no if you're on social media it's non-stop there's coaches that would never call themselves a spiritual person, but it's here's all the things that you could do to be okay. It's very military, like in the military, they have that, you know, maggot, let's go, you know, a football, pro- like you said, mentioned coaches, same thing. Like it's a very handy tool. It's a very handy tool and uh, it works. I'm not opposed to the idea of, or the parental concept or the teaching aspect of yelling at someone and telling them they did bad <laughs> and they did wrong. I actually really dislike the whole, oh, you're great just the way you are, participation trophy kind of attitude. And like, I get it. You want to build self-esteem. I totally get it. It's super important for kids especially. But you got to have some oomph pushed into you mm-hmm. too. And, and I would argue that's the underlying problem right there. People don't know the balance. It's so the balance. You show up one place and they're going to drill you about how terrible of a person you are and how the world is going to burn in hell. You show up to another place and it's like everything is wonderful. Jesus has fixed everything. We just got to smile and trust. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's homeless people sidewalk outside the church. Yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of brokenness happening in the world. Yeah. So the thing is, is that's everywhere. It's rampant. So where do you, people are hungry now. They want real community. They want real connection. They want to be able to connect with people who are not going to just blind faith to what's actually happening in the world. I love this conversation and I have two kind of closing questions for you. Bring it on, baby. The first one is, if there was a God, what would you want that God to be like? That's a good question. I never thought about that. 
you, you didn't think I was prepared today, did you? Oh, I knew from the get-go, especially <laughs> with your first question. But uh, luckily, I'm quick on my feet. The first word that comes to mind would be accepting and not exclusionary. Um, Even the people who have done super evil things? If, you know, the concept of heaven, uh, getting into heaven is the merit system, which I hope it is because that's my only way of getting in, uh, then no, then those people can't get in. I don't mean accepting. I mean accepting of who you are and what you wanted to be while you were alive and uh, the decisions you made and the effects you had on people and uh, did you make... uh, righteous decisions not based on wanting to get into heaven but because it was the right thing to do mm-hmm. and uh, I think that is more important than uh, how you express your love for God while you were alive mm-hmm. yeah well thank you for for sharing that you're and welcome so my my next question is does the devil have horns Yes, but they have to be trimmed. <laughs> okay, no. My real, my, my real final question is, um, if there's one thing you could say to all the Assyrians from all over the world who are listening to the Assyrian podcast, what would you say to them? I would say it's okay to open your mind and invite doubt and uh, experiment and uh, sample different ways of thinking it's gonna be all right there's plenty of us here for you and if you don't want to join but you just want to hang out once in a while we could do that too it's all good you just got to be nice to us that's all we want be nice to us don't hate us don't threaten us with hell don't tell us that we're bad people because we're not you know we just uh think differently and on that note have you ever had hot Cheetos and a Slurpee at the same time? No, because I hate sweet and savory. Like, why do people like sea salt and caramel? It makes no sense. It, <laughs> if I'm having che- hot Cheetos, I want a beer to go with it. If I'm having chocolate, I want tea. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you for having me. See, this was fun. We should do this again. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Assyrian Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please let us know. Go ahead and rate and review us online and shoot us a message letting us know what stuck out to you. Thanks so much. See you next time.